Welcome to AUSU's Open Mic Podcast, brought to you by your Athabasca University Students' Union. My name is Natalia Ivanik, the VP of Community and Wellness here at AUSU. I'm very excited to introduce you all to a special guest on our Open Mic Podcast today. Uh, some of you may remember Kelly Gordon from AUSU's second annual Pride Week celebration this past October from the presentation on inclusive language in the workplace. Today, we're privileged to have them join us again. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. The session you hosted during Pride Week was amazing, and the students who attended thoroughly enjoyed your presentation. To begin, can you share a bit about your role um, at AU and what brought you to this point in your career? Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. As you mentioned, my name is Kelly. I use they, them pronouns, and my role here at AU is a counselor. So counselors at AU provide learner support through a myriad of different topics like choosing a program, what program or major fits best with a student's chosen career path, making career decisions, developing sound study habits, basically time management, learning styles, general academic support. We do not, however, assist with choosing courses. We leave that to the experts in advising. As for me, uh, the road to AU has been a long and varied one. I honestly had no idea what I wanted to do with my life when I went to university, like way back in 2002, which is very painful to say out loud because it's so long ago. Uh, but I randomly chose creative writing as a major, graduated, and had no clue what I wanted to do for work. I floundered around for a few months and ended up going back to school for a master of business administration, thinking, why not? Mom and dad have one. Uh, so I graduated from that, went straight into a corporate job that I loathed entirely. Turns out cubicles and conformity are not for me. Who knew? So I went back to graduate school again. Are you seeing a pattern here? <laughs> for counseling and discovered career counseling. I did not know there was an actual therapeutic process to help people like me figure out work. So over the last 20 years, I've had every job from radio DJ to K-12 English teacher to script writer. And I adore helping students find their own path, ideally much quicker and with a lot less student loan debt than I did. Phew. Anyways, before I go off on a career counseling tangent, I'll bring it back around to why we're here. Along my young adult journey, I struggled a lot with my sexuality and gender identity. There weren't a lot of support systems available 20 years ago in the deep American South, nor many identifying terms for LGBTQIA2S plus folks that weren't derogatory in nature. So it took me quite a while to reach my own identity of non-binary. Well, for any folks listening who aren't familiar, non-binary is basically an umbrella term for people who don't identify as solely male or solely female. In my case, I don't identify with any gender, thus am genderless. Anywho, I did a lot of work with the trans community during my time in grad school for counseling, and I made the decision when I did embark on my career in higher ed that I would do my best to stay visible myself and be involved in EDI and inclusive language whenever and wherever I could. So that was a really long-winded answer to your question. Thank you so much um, for, for sharing that with us today. Um, I was wondering, what would you say, what is inclusive language and, and why is it important? Good question. Inclusive language, put as simply as I can, is using language that respects and includes people from all communities. So it's free from prejudice, stereotypes, sexism, racism, 
and other discriminatory language when referring to things like race and ethnicity, sexuality and gender identity, mental and physical disabilities, and other underrepresented or politicized groups of people. It's important because our choice in language helps us to foster environments that are respectful and comfortable, and it allows us to avoid situations where people around us may be inadvertently or deliberately excluded, dismissed, or stigmatized. A few examples of using inclusive language are saying everyone or folks or even y'all instead of ladies and gentlemen or boys and girls when addressing a group of people or avoiding harmful idioms like blind spots, grandfathered, or whitelist and blacklist, as these are biased expressions. Also, their meaning doesn't translate as it's inherently connected to the underlying bias of the phrase. I really like that that you brought up this up. And, and I was wondering, what are, what are the best ways to keep up with changes to in inclusive language, especially as it appears to um, evolve quite rapidly? I'll say so rapidly. Honestly, sometimes the very idea of practicing inclusive language can feel so overwhelming as language itself is a growing and flowing entity that's ever changing. Even I feel this way sometimes. But outside of initial and ongoing research and reading and workshops and things like that, I think it's important to stay open and listen to the folks who are in those underrepresented groups and what they have to say. Let them control the narrative and guide you through it. And remember that it's okay to make mistakes. And if you do, apologize, hear the person out, respect their experience, and try to do better next time. Because even if you were to follow every recommendation and article you've ever heard or read, you might still offend someone or say the wrong thing. We can spend a lifetime on the journey to a more inclusive way of communicating and still make many mistakes. I make mistakes myself, even though I'm sitting here talking to you about it. The most important thing is to just try, try it out because nothing is lost in the process, but so much can be gained. I mean, I'll tell you, I get a serious boost of dopamine every time someone uses my correct pronouns because it's so nice to feel seen in a world that doesn't always notice I'm there and it doesn't always make space for me to exist. So imagine how many people's days you could improve just by using a new word or not using an old one. Uh, definitely agree. And and I agree that, you know, we all still make mistakes and, and it's it's a process of learning and unlearning and, and just just trying to do better, I think. Um, mm -hmm. I'm wondering what what can someone do if maybe their workplace or their institution is hesitant in using inclusive language? This is a very good question. I often come across folks inside or outside of an organization who are hesitant or occasionally straight up combative when asked to attempt to use more inclusive language. I find that often the root cause of these types of reactions is a combination of not knowing what inclusive language is or why it's important, the very uncomfortable act of acknowledging that some of the language you've been using is offensive, the difficulty of changing the way you speak after years of using certain words or phrases, and the anxiety over using new words or language incorrectly and offending someone. I mean, the act of using inclusive language does ask something big of us, which is to challenge and change what may be some deeply embedded societal habits. And that's not an easy task. 
It requires us to access our empathy by imagining experiences that may be wildly different from our own. And to some, language changes might seem unnecessary or even silly, attributed to quote unquote woke culture or worse, but why not try? I can't remember where I heard this, but I love to use the phrase, communication is not necessarily what you say, but how it's heard. So how do you wanna be heard? Anyway, back to the question of workplaces or institutions being hesitant. Sometimes, even though it's scary, we have to take up the role of championing inclusive language ourselves in our schools, workplaces, or even within our own families. I've found that often we're less alone in our desire for inclusive language than we think we are. And offering to start up a committee or even presenting the topic at a team meeting will bring more people to the table with you to get the movement started. That's why we're here doing this podcast. If you do go that direction, it's a very brave thing to do. That's a really great answer. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. How do we define allyship? Allyship, fun word. <laughs> allyship is advocation for the inclusion of an underrepresented group, not as a member of the group, but in solidarity with that group. So allies take on the tough task of reevaluating their place of privilege on learning harmful words and phrases and habits and continuously striving for personal growth and understanding of the world outside themselves. In the LGBTQIS2S plus group, our straight allies even have their own flag, fun, but it's important to note that allyship exists and is important for all underrepresented groups. Uh, how does allyship look beyond Pride Month um, and, and how can someone be an ally year round? I love this question. So there are lots of different ways to be an ally outside of designated months and events. Everyone has different preferences, skills, and abilities with which they can help. I actually love the way the Inclusive Leaders Group approaches the different kinds of allyship. I'll go through the seven types of allies they outline briefly, but I'll also give you a quiz link if you're curious to see which one or two or three you might be. So first we have the sponsor. A sponsor is an ally that vocally supports a person from an underrepresented group and their work with the aim of boosting their credibility and reputation, especially when they're being dismissed or ignored. And there's also the champion. Champions push for the inclusion of underrepresented groups in public, and that can be social media, events, comic cons, conferences, uh, basically with the aim of giving them greater visibility, equity, and inclusivity. Then you have advocates. The advocates use their power and influence to bring peers from those underrepresented groups into highly exclusive circles that they may not have access to. The scholar seeks to learn as much as possible about the challenges and prejudices faced by people from underrepresented groups. They never insert their own opinions or experiences, but simply listen and learn. The amplifier works to ensure that those underrepresented voices are heard and respected, like inviting those members to speak and share their voice in spaces where they may not have been heard otherwise. The upstander chooses not to sit back and watch as someone from an underrepresented group gets harassed or disrespected, but instead steps in and helps. And the confidant creates an environment that makes people from underrepresented groups comfortable enough to express their needs, frustrations, fears, and challenges. So essentially a safe space. That's really great. Um, 
I was wondering how how can students be better allies to their trans non-binary and gender non-conforming peers? I think we can all always do better, but the most important thing is to try. And you can do this by introducing yourself with your name and pronouns in conversations, emails, discussions. This fosters a welcoming environment and really helps to normalize that process. And it makes it less awkward in the future when you have someone who wants to share their pronouns but may not think it's the space to do so. Definitely use non-gendered language whenever and wherever you can. Like I mentioned earlier, folks, everybody, if you're speaking about a career using police officer instead of police man, uh, as a they, them, myself, I appreciate these things very much. I've also heard the argument that they, them for a singular person is not grammatically correct. And I did struggle with this a little myself, but fun fact, it actually is and has been since Shakespeare. Most people even use it themselves in everyday speech when referring to a person whose gender is unknown. Remember, too, that gender identity and gender expression are different. You shouldn't assume a person's gender identity by the way they dress or appear. You rely on them to disclose their gender identity to you. Look to the members of the trans and non-binary community for guidance also, and always acknowledge their feelings and experience over your own when it comes to language. This is true for all inclusive language. Always, always, always listen to someone when they tell you that a word or phrase is harmful or hurtful. That's really fantastic. Um, thank you. Thank you for bringing up these points. Um, maybe a final question for for those who would like to maybe learn more about this to read a bit more um, on their own time. Do you have any favorite resources for inclusive language? Yeah, so I, as I mentioned, the Inclusive Leaders Group has a seven types of allies quiz, which will tell you which of those seven that we talked about earlier you are, and it could be a combination of more than one. I also would like to share the Trans Language Primer website. So I think one of the questions earlier was how to keep up with inclusive language because it's always changing, and that's certainly true for the LGBTQIA2S plus community. So the Trans Language Primer is always up to date on the words and phrases that that community is using and is okay with. So you can keep up with them there. There's a full index. And then the University of Victoria actually has a nice website on inclusivity that goes over each group and how to capitalize words, when to use specific phrases and when not to, et cetera. So I'm happy to share all of those, those links. Thank you so, so much for those. Um would be very glad to, to get those links to add to, to our list. Um, and thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this has been so absolutely fantastic and, and incredibly informative. And I'm sure that students um, will have learned a lot and, and hopefully look at these resources as well and keep learning. Thank you so much for having me. And remember, how do you want to be heard? Today, we have some special guests with us today from ASU's Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee. The EDI Committee is our newest and largest to date and has been invaluable in guiding ASU advocacy work on EDI-related issues within our organization as well as externally at the university level and provincially and federally. Um, 
Some examples include accessibility, inclusive course content, as well as providing guidance on various ASU events, um, such as Indigenous Week, Pride Week, Disability Week, and Black History Month. My name is Natalia Ivanik, one of the co-chairs for this committee, and today we're joined by several special guests. Thank you all for being here today. Who are you? Where are you joining us from today? And what is your program? And maybe we can start with Eva. Hey, definitely. Um, my name is Eva Embry. I am a counselor on AUSU and actually co-chair of the EDI committee. Um, I currently live in Sherwood Park, Alberta, which is Treaty 6 territory and home to the Métis Settlement and Métis Nation of Alberta Region 2. Um, and my program, I've been fiddling with a bit this year while I consider different minors, but I'm completing my BA as a psych major. Thanks, Eva. And I'll pass it over to Ali. Hey, I'm Ali Watasik. I am a counselor in AUSU and a member of the EDI community. And um, I'm joining today from Treaty 6 territory and most recently uh, the stolen lands of the Papa Chase First Nation as we just moved. I'm completing a Bachelor of General Studies and I'm almost done. Thanks, Ali. And I'll pass it over to Joy. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for having us. My name is Joy Kashamana. I'm sorry about my voice. I had a little bit of cold. Yeah, so as I said, my name is Joy Kashamana. I'm joining from, uh, from Edmonton, Alberta, Treaty 6. Uh, and right now I'm finishing my BA in political science. I have one more class and then I'll be done. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe I can ask, this is kind of a big question, so... Um, what does EDI mean to you? That is a big question. Um, to me, in terms of AUSU, the EDI committee, academia, I think it means discovering and breaking down barriers that are preventing students um, from participating, from succeeding, from thriving in our online learning environment. So for me, I think um, EDI is about uh, promoting fair opportunity for AUSU students so that they can enjoy access to education in an equitable manner uh, without exposure to discrimination or prejudice and also uh, supporting the accommodations necessary uh, for full participation. Yeah, thank you for the question. And again, that's a big question. I think EDI means uh, inclusion, uh, diversity, uh, really reaching gap between students and creating fair opportunities for all students, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from. Uh, I think that's what I like and that, that's what it meant to me. Thank you, Joy, that's a great answer. Um, so why is EDI work important in today's world? Kind of, I can't remember Ali's exact phrase, but she, when talking about what EDI means, and providing opportunities to students in an equitable manner. Um, it feels like we're in a time when people or most people really do want to understand, want to do the work, but it's a manner of giving a direction to go in. And I feel like 
equality versus equity is a really important distinction. For a long time, people were focused on equality and, and that was the work that needed to be done, treating everyone equally, um, no race, no gender, no sexuality should be considered less than or given fewer opportunities, which is absolutely true, but equality was like the big buzzword. Um, and I think the difference between these two words is becoming more obvious and more important. Um, there's there's an image of three people outside of the fence of a baseball game. I think there's a lot of different versions of the image. If you Google equality versus equity, you'll see lots, I'm sure. Um, but essentially, three different people need to see over a fence. And equality provides all three people with a box to stand on, even though that's only sufficient help for one person. Um, one person didn't even need help and the third still can't see. But it's equal, you all got the same box. And conversely, equity provides the appropriate accommodation to each individual so they're all able to see. Um, so that's a really long way to say, I think that the work is important because I think opportunity for change is there and just requires someone to say, this is like the next step um, by constantly finding ways and working towards making spaces equitable, creating these spaces with an EDI lens, we'll be able to hear so many more voices um, with so many more ideas. Thanks, Eva. That, that was a fantastic answer. And Joy, why is uh, EDI work important in today's world? Yeah, again, thank you for the question. Uh, that's a big question because I myself comes, uh, come from uh, various minority groups. I am Black, I am a transgender person, and you know, I have so much to carry in. In today's world, seem that seem as if Really, if you come from from such ethnic groups, uh, you face so much discrimination and, and you don't have uh, opportunities just as everyone else. And, um, and I think the work that we do here every single day is to ensure that inclusion is for all students. Uh, it does not matter uh, where you come from um, or who you are. And I truly believe that the work that we do at ADI is an avenue to give adequate opportunities to all students. Uh, and it is, of course, uh, the right step in the right directions. And, and I know there is still much more work to be done. And um, uh, But being with EDI, I'm, I'm confident that we will continue to do the great work to ensure that uh, all students are served well, uh, to ensure that this, there are no barriers uh, to any student whatsoever. And of course, to create uh, accessibilities uh, that we've uh, been advocating for. Thank you so much for that really, really thoughtful answer. Really appreciate um, you sharing that with us. Um, and okay, this is a bit easier. Eva, why did you join the EDI committee? Um, I joined because I was very excited and I think I started emailing you immediately. <laughs> I was so excited at the opportunity to, to create and to advocate for the creation of things that would actually make a difference in the lives of students, um, be it the information sessions that have started, uh, policy or procedure changes. Um, I think 
there's so many different avenues that we could be working on. Um, and I would just really love to know we were helping people um, not have to put as much effort into trying so hard just to be able to do the work in the first place. So I wanted to join uh, the committee because uh, naturally at heart, I'm a community builder. And um, I really wanted to spend uh, my time and energy uh, working towards um, like something that would have an actual positive impact uh, on creating a stronger global community and uh, the educational community for AUSU students. And Joy, why did you join the EDI committee? Yeah, so um, I joined the committee because I felt that uh, I can share my experiences. I can bring um, whatever that I went through, whatever, or share my experience with the committee to to better help students who are in my position. Um, yeah, and advocate, of course, for other students. I know we do so much work. The committee has so much responsibility, but I feel like um, having to share my little voice and then being there, even sometimes I feel like, you know, I, maybe I've, I've um, I don't really maybe do so much on the committee uh, as being a just student at large, but I feel uh, just being there and sharing my little experience, my little thoughts, um, I think uh, make it can make all the difference. Uh, it can help students who are in my issue or in my position. Yeah, I think that's why I joined. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Eva, what would you say are the main goals of the committee this term? Um, I think we have a lot of goals and a lot of work that we want to do as a committee. Um, we're still kind of working to define ourselves and figure out what is even feasible to, com to complete year over year. Um, we are working to address gaps and creating as much as we possibly can without within the committee, um, as well as there are some overarching goals to advocate for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's call to action and really just advocate for EDI principles and the creation of EDI spaces at all levels. And thanks, Eva and Ali. What do you think are the main goals? So the main goals of the committee, um, or the main goals I see the committee um, working towards is uh, advocating uh, for AU students who need support navigating their educational experience for a variety of reasons. Um, like Eva said, um, addressing gaps and, uh, you know, like dismantling barriers. Uh, I think um, providing education, like we um, we bring like the awareness piece or we try to, um, to the AUSU students um, so we can educate ourselves and the university on matters that are important to um, student participation and access needs. And um, working towards uh, creating policies and programs that reflect the, uh, these values. Yeah, um, thanks again for the question. Um, I think the goals for uh, EDI committee is to um, really to create, to come up with um, policies that will affect 
all students in a positive way, um, ending any barriers that are in place. Uh, really, uh, maybe catching up with an ever-changing world. Our world is always changing and there's always new things. And I feel like the goal of the of our committee is to ensure that we are up to date and, and we are uh, tackling big issues that faces students every single day. Um, maybe along those lines and maybe looking towards the future, um, Eva, where do you see the committee heading in later terms? Um, I see it expanding. I think it's already happening as a committee. I think we're already um, kind of trying to push how much we can accomplish as we kind of start to find our feet as a committee um, and have the potential to collaborate with other council members to work on external advocacy opportunities. I'd be really excited to see what, what we could accomplish there. So for me, I'm hoping that we are going to be welcoming new members um, who want to uh, contribute like with their unique points of view. Um, I find these types of um, groups and committees work a lot better with the more uh, people that you have. Um, so I'm hoping that um, going forward, the committee is going to be welcoming new members. Um, uh, people who want to contribute their unique point of view to um, the the priorities that we have going forward. Eva, what can students expect when joining the EDI committee? I think that the EDI committee is our largest committee. And I think when joining, a student could expect a very encouraging space, um, ears that are very open to new ideas and learning where the gaps in student support are. I would hope that that's the environment um, students would be walking into. Thanks, Eva. And Ali? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's important to mention that we usually meet um, like once every three months, and uh, we do have several um, events and, and opportunities that we plan throughout the year um, that they can participate in and be a part of and, um, and help us to roll those kind of things out that's not the only communication that we have we we are also able to like bring up new ideas or if somebody has just learned a different way to do something um yeah like we can talk on email and and stuff it doesn't have to wait for the next meeting those are really great points um thank you Ali. and joy what can students expect when joining the edi committee okay so i I believe, I believe when I started at EDI, uh, student at large, um, my first request was to understand my jurisdiction. And I think uh, any new student who joined the county, of course, will um, have that opportunity to understand their roles and uh, to understand the policies that govern the EDI as well. And of course, bringing new ideas is my Colleagues have stated already, uh, bringing new ideas and meeting maybe once every three months and um, being part of great um, events that happen throughout the year. Yeah, so uh, I, my only advice is that, you know, make time. It's, it's always exciting, you know, when events comes up, whatever. So, yeah. Okay, and let's try something fun. Let's try a rapid fire round. So, Eva, favorite AU course? 
Um, Psych 402. It's biological psychology. How fast am I supposed to answer? <laughs> as fast as you want. <laughs> okay. Ali. I should probably pass because I'm only working on my second AUS, AU course. And Joy? Great question. So I would say jurisprudence. I, I had an amazing and amazing instructor. Uh, I enjoyed the course. I studied a little bit of law and stuff like that. So that's my favorite course ever. Good answer. I had an excellent tutor for Psych 304. If, I, if it was based on tutor, Psych 304. Eva, if you could live in one place, where would it be? Anywhere in the world. Uh, Hawaii. Hawaii, maybe. Perfect. And Ali? Iceland. Enjoy. Um, that's a good question. Um, I like safari and I also like my cold weathers here. So I'm not really sure. I think that's a really, really tough question. So uh, maybe I'll say Mexico. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Haven't been enough places to be able to accurately answer. Hmm. Well, if you make it to Mexico, come say hi. I'm here. <laughs> okay, sure, I will. Okay, uh, Eva, mountains or beach? Beach. Ali? Mountains. Joy? Mountains. Favorite food? Potatoes. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very politically correct response. I was like, I was going to say salmon, but then, you know, that means I have to kill the salmon, so. I just, every, every potato. And Ali? Salmon. <laughs> Joy? I'll say chicken wings, buffalo wings, my favorite. Mm -hmm. Eva, is a hot dog a sandwich? It is not. Why or why not? It just doesn't feel right. I don't have a good answer. It's just not. <laughs> Ali? Yeah, I think if the definition of a sandwich is meat between two pieces of bread or a bread product, then it has to be a sandwich, unless you want to argue that a hot dog actually isn't meat. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Enjoy. Well, that's a good answer, actually. Um, I'll say it is. Uh, in my opinion, it looks like a sandwich. You know, it's meat, it has bread. So I think it is a sandwich when it looks like it, and then it should be. I like this argument. <laughs> <laughs> Saving them for next time. Um, okay, last question. Eva, do you have any reoccurring dreams? And if you do, what are they? I do not. Um, I have different dreams all the time, and they are always absolutely wild. There is too much going on it's it's so detailed I, they're not they're never the same though no rapid fire no <laughs> Ali um when I was a young child I used to have um both reoccurring dreams and also dreams that kind of had a theme so they would continue on from the dream that I had before and one of the one of the ones that I'm thinking of right now is um I had this dream where I would drive around uh, British Columbia with my dad. We used to do road trips a lot. And, um, but as we were going, the, the landscape had changed like significantly, like places were flooded and um, 
beaches weren't weren't there anymore and stuff like that. And so at one point I actually took all of this information and drew a map of British Columbia according to the dreams. Wow, that is amazing. And Joy, have have you had any recurring dreams? Um hmm, that's a good question. So I don't know. I don't remember. I don't think I do. So usually I just dream and then I move on and I don't know. I don't think I had. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Thank you all so much for this fantastic conversation and sharing your thoughts with us today. These are always important, but often difficult conversations to have. And for listeners who would be interested in joining the EDI committee, we opened the application period in mid-March for available seats. So please visit ausu.org or contact myself, VP Community and Wellness here at AUSU for more information. 